For those of you watching my Facebook Live, we welcome you to, to our service here at LifeSpring. We're in the continuing journey through, our, um, through the journey through the book of Mark. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in Mark chapter 14. We're going to pick up where we left off at verse 26. We're going to pick up at verse 27. And here's what you need to know today. You know, God always has me mix it up. Maybe that's because he wants to keep me on my toes. And, you know, most of the time I'm always doing an, an expository line-by-line teaching. But today I'm just going to give you the narrative today. And I'll pull in some of the reference verses so you can stay with me if you're unable to follow me in your Bible, which you should be able to. But um, this story, this, this story part of Jesus' life, short of the cross and the tomb, is the most important story that we have in the life of Jesus Christ. And it's simple. I've titled this message today, The Garden. The Garden. Let me start by saying that for those of you who feel like no one could possibly understand what it means to be alone in a crowd of people and still feel like you're by yourself, let me assure you that Jesus knows what that feels like. He knows exactly what that feels like. He does. We left off last week with Jesus and his disciples having eaten a meal together in the upper room, and now they're headed to the Mount of Olives, where the scripture tells us in Luke chapter 22, verse 39, that this was one of Jesus' favorite places to go. He'd often go there just to get alone to pray. And up to this point, Jesus would always have to break away from the crowds to be alone. He'd have to go intentionally away to a solitary place to be alone. But now in just a few short hours, he wouldn't have to worry about that because he would be All alone. Better yet, he'd be abandoned by everyone he knew. In fact, abandonment is a theme that dominates the next two chapters where we'll find that every single person associated with Jesus, his 12 guys that he invested his life in, gone. And it's not like Jesus didn't know that this was going to happen. It's not like he didn't warn his disciples. We find in verse 26 and 27 that Jesus tells his disciples, you will fall away. That Greek verb there for for fall away, when it's translated, it simply presents the idea that you are going to temporarily lose courage. It's only temporary. And then Jesus goes on to quote Isaiah, or excuse me, Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. Which, by the way, Zechariah was a prophet that lived over 500 years prior to the coming of Christ. Jesus quotes him. Zechariah says, it is written, smite the sheep, smite the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. And then Jesus adds this, but after that I will be raised and I will, be, I will go before you into Galilee. Here's the point that Jesus is making here to his disciples. He tells them what's happening to them and what's about to occur. He says, when I'm crucified, you're going to temporarily lose courage. You're going to lose hope. 
your fear of reprisal from the Jewish leaders and, and from the Roman government is going to cause you not to want to identify with me any longer. But I'm here. I'm going to make a promise to you. I promise you this. So I'm going to rise again. You're going to see me crucified. It's going to look like it's all over, but I promise you, I'm going to rise again. In other words, Jesus is telling them, no matter how bad it might look, I'm already way out in front of you on this. As a matter of fact, he says, I'm going to go before you into Galilee. I'm going to meet you there. I promise you that. I don't want you to lose this. Because we all deal with issues. I'll get, when I get further into the message, we'll, we'll talk about that. But don't miss this, man. These are the 12 apostles. These are the men that Jesus chose to change the entire world. And Jesus is telling them here in this text, he says, listen, I'm not willing to let you go. I'm going to go before you and make plain your path. I'm not willing to let you go. I believe in you. I believe in the assignment that I've given you to carry out. And I expect you to carry it out. He's telling his disciples that. There are two ideas that I don't want you to miss. I'm going to come back to them. Here they are. Jesus says, I will be raised. I will be raised. So no matter what you do, no matter how you respond to your difficulty, no matter what you feel has taken you so far off the path of your life, I'm still God. I'm still in control. And here's the second point, and you're still mine. No matter what you do, I still believe in you. Listen, you have an assignment. I've given you an assignment. You can't get away from your assignment. You have a calling on your life. No matter where you go, I'll find you. No matter what you've done, I can forgive you. He's talking to the 12 disciples. And I love the fact that, that in verses 29 through 31 here, I love that Mark and the other gospels don't try to sugarcoat it for us. I love how they don't try to make Peter and the other apostles look good by covering up their humanness. Humanness is not a word, is it? Is it? I thought I made that word up. I was all happy of, happy of myself. I love that, that, that none of the Gospels try to cover up their humanness. Instead, the Gospels use the apostles as examples for us to follow of how a good, how good can come out of bad and how God can turn utter failure into a point of encouragement for someone he brings into your life if you'll just trust him regardless of what circumstances you're in. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Every single one of us will face a garden experience. We all face them. 
the garden. The Garden of Gethsemane is located right at the foot, if you will, of the Mount of Olives. The word Gethsemane means oil press. At the time of Christ, this place was, was more than likely either an olive grove or, or an oil press. The garden was one of Jesus' favorite places to pray. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 22, verse 39, that going to the garden to pray was his custom. That word custom means habit. Everybody say habit. See, especially in tough times, out of habit, when things got tough, Jesus would turn to prayer first. You know, there are many things today in our life that we can turn to first when times get tough. But prayer should always be our first line of defense against the enemy. Is it yours? Is prayer the first place that you go to when times get tough? I believe that's what Jesus wanted us to see here. And let me ask you this, when times get tough in those critical times of your life, when you're faced with the crucible of life, do you go to your knees? As disciples of Jesus, Jesus gives us the example of what it means to, to go to your knees out of habit first when you hit those times of life that are difficult. You guys tracking with me? So he goes to the garden. Jesus takes his 11 disciples, because remember, Judas has already betrayed him. So he takes the 11 disciples, and he, he takes them to the outskirts of the garden. And then I want you to notice what he does here. He takes three of his closest friends, his closest companions, into the garden with him, Peter, James, and John. Man. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus Christ is God incarnate. And in his time of greatest need, he takes his three friends, his three closest friends with him. There's something we need to learn from this example. Here's the first thing. Everybody needs somebody. Everybody needs somebody in their life. Listen, we need all of us. Everybody say all of us. All of us need people in our lives that know the good, the bad, and the what? The good, the bad, the ugly, the painful, the sinful. The things that we don't want everybody or just anybody to know. We all need to have somebody in our life that we can go to. Amen, Pastor. Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him just about everywhere. They saw the good, the bad, and the ugly of Jesus. 
They saw, the, they saw when Jesus was at his best, when he walked across the water. I don't think it gets very much better than that. Or when he calmed the sea. Or when he fed the 20,000. They saw him at his best. They saw him at his worst. When he went to the tomb of Lazarus and he wept bitterly over Lazarus. You guys remember that? He took his three closest friends with him into the garden. Just prior to going to the garden, Jesus gave a discourse to his disciples. It was a discourse of love, man. It was a love dialogue that John captures in John chapter 13. Watch this now. John chapters 13 through 17. Five chapters. Jesus is talking to his disciples in the upper room before they leave to go to the garden. He's telling them about what life is going to look like after he's gone. It's a love dialogue. And it ends with, a, with a, what we call the high priestly prayer where Jesus prays over them, all of them that he calls his friends, including Judas, who betrayed him. So, the, so eight of them now are out at the outskirts of the garden. Three of them are on the inside with Jesus. It's around midnight. It had been a long, emotional day. Jesus tells the disciples on the outskirts to watch and pray. Then he takes his three disciples in with him, Peter, James, and John. And he sits there and he says, watch with me. That word watch in the Greek means, literally means to be on spiritual alert. Then the scripture says that Jesus moves about a stone's throw away from the three. And he begins to pray. He kneels down and he begins to pray. And Mark records that the first words out of his mouth Abba, Abba. Scripture says that Jesus was in great turmoil. He says, Dad, if it's possible for you, because nothing's impossible for you, will you remove this cup from me? I don't want to have to go through this. Yet not my will, but your will be done. And then the scripture tells us that he goes back out to the entrance of the garden and he, founds his, he finds his disciples sleeping. And here's what Luke tells us. Luke tells us that the disciples were sleeping because of sorrow. Because remember Jesus, they had never seen Jesus like this before. He was telling them things that they had never heard before. It was blowing their mind. Man, you know, emotional energy, expending emotional energy is often worse than expending physical energy, isn't it? These guys were emotionally exhausted after what Jesus had told them. They were asleep. Luke says it's because it's 
deep sorrow. They realized they were in the moments of truth, that their master, their teacher was about to leave them. And I believe that the disciples were feeling the heaviness, the weight of, of what was about to occur. So Jesus goes out there, and then, and then he looks at the disciples, and he singles out Peter, who had told him, if everybody else leaves you, I will not leave you. Wake up, Peter. Peter, watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. All of you, listen to me. I already told you what's coming. Watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then once again, Jesus enters into the garden. Mark tells us he cries out the same words, Father, I know it's possible. Please remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will. But your, wills be, your will be done. Goes back out. He finds him sleeping again. Wakes him up again. Goes back into the garden again. Prays the same prayer. Why is Jesus doing this? Because in that moment, Jesus realized that I need to lay down my will for the will of the Father. And in doing so, he sets the example for every single disciple to follow. You see, the human side of Jesus shows us that the battle of the flesh is real. Jesus is both fully God. Everybody say fully God. And fully man. Everybody say fully man. The human side of Jesus in the garden was, was showing us as disciples that the battle that we have against the flesh is real. Man, this stuff wants to live. It wants to live so bad that the last breath in your body can go out and your hair will continue to grow for 12 years. Cells in your body, when you've drawn your last breath, will continue to want to live. This stuff wants to live. Our mind, our will, our emotion, our imagination, our intellect wants to be independent. It wants to live. That's why we have to crucify the flesh. I'm not trying to yell at y'all. I just get excited when I teach this stuff. Jesus was showing us very God in the garden, the Bible says, I'm getting ahead of myself, the Bible says that as he prayed, he was under so much duress. Sweat dripped down off his brow like great drops of blood, wrestling with his flesh, wrestling in that moment, whether or not he would surrender his will to the will of God. Let me tell you something. Listen to me. Listen to me. Every single one of us have to go through the garden experience. Every single one of us have things that we have to surrender our will to the will of God. Or else we'll be out of the will of God. 
Yeah. His flesh doesn't want to face Roman crucifixion. Man, listen, Roman crucifixion was no joke. We've seen the pictures of Jesus on the cross, you know, with the loincloth on. Hair still looking kind of good. Nah, man. Scriptures tell us that he was beaten so bad that if you didn't know who he was before it started, you would have no idea who it was when he was on that cross. His flesh didn't want to face that. Roman crucifixion. He didn't have a nice neat loincloth on. He was naked on that cross. They wanted to humiliate him. He didn't want to go through that. And while he was, on the, while he was in the garden, he, he suffered through this rare phys- physiological phenomenon that's called hematohydrosis. It's a phenomenon where 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 the pressure, you're under so much stress and so much pressure that your capillaries begin to swell. And as the anxiety and the pressure releases and those capillaries go back down to their normal size, they've bursted and the blood rises up to underneath the pores of your skin and begins to leak out of your skin. There are people that believe that this was a figure of speech. Luke, the doctor, records this as an actual thing. Jesus was under so much stress that he experienced hematodrosis. And blood poured out of his skin. For you, Gloria. For you, Eunice, for you, John, Shannon, Mom, Levon, Pauline, Chris, for me. He did it for us. He didn't want to go to the cross. Cue the video, you guys. He said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Go ahead and play it. It is a reason to clap, because we know the end of the story. But Jesus is in the garden and he's alone by himself. I think Mel Gibson was inspired by God when he, when he produced the passion. Because that scene where Jesus is begging his father and he looks and all of a sudden it gets dark and he realizes Peter, James, and John can't be here. The other eight can't be here. Nobody can do this but me. I am alone in this. I've got to walk this out alone. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Family, every single one of us come to a nevertheless moment in our life, in our walk with God, 
it's a moment in our life where we have to decide whether we're going to trust God no matter what or not. Am I going to trust what the Father tells me to do? And then am I going to do it no matter what? Jesus gets up from there and the scripture says that he goes out and at the time that he's talking to his disciples and telling them it's okay, it's enough, Judas shows up with the mob and he betrays him with a kiss. Now here's what's significant about that. I didn't realize this until until I started doing my study on this. You know, a kiss was a common act of endearment. We know that between two people. But beyond that, it was a way that a disciple would meet his teacher. A disciple would greet their teacher with a kiss. The disciple would go up to the teacher and kiss the teacher, not the other way around. The sign of respect and adoration, but yet this kiss was a wicked act of betrayal. And this is what gets me. Jesus still calls him friend. He still calls him friend. And what I love about the Gospels, again, is they make no, they don't try to cover up the disgrace of Judas betraying Jesus or Jesus being betrayed by one of his disciples. They don't cover up the fact that Judas knew exactly where Jesus would be because this was his custom to go to the garden. He knew where Jesus would be, and he knew where he could be found. And he gave the, the mob a call sign. Let me read verses 44 through 45, chapter 14. Are you there? Hmm. And immediately, I'll I'll go back to verse 33. Immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12. I want you to know that. With him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and from the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I kiss is the man. Seize him. Lead him away under guard. That that word, that term under guard means lead him away safely. When he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, oh man, and kissed him. Now what takes place here in Mark's account is really brief compared to a lot of the other gospels. I find it interesting that Mark is, the, is, is, is brief in his description of what goes on, but John gives you a, a long narrative of what takes place. And John identifies Peter as the assailant and Malchus as the victim. Malchus is a servant of the high priest. And listen, it says that, that Peter cut off his ear But make no mistake about it, you know Peter's a hothead anyway, right? I believe the brother woke up from a dead sleep and saw the mob grab the sword and try to cut Malchus' head off. I think Malchus saw it coming and moved his head and Peter got his ear. And John doesn't disclose the name of Peter until he writes his gospel somewhere around 85 to 90 A.D., 
because Peter's already dead. Peter was martyred in 67 A.D. So where the other Gospels that were written somewhere between 50 and 60 A.D. couldn't put in the name because the name was, was, was safe to protect the innocent, Peter's already dead, so John includes it in his Gospel. He said it was, it was Peter that cut off the high servant's ear, high priest's ear. Man, Jesus had been betrayed. He knew that he had to go this alone. He knew that if, if he did not heal Malchus, that Peter was going to have to go to the cross with him. So Jesus reaches down, picks the brother's ear up, puts it back on, heals him completely. And tell Peter, tells Peter, enough's enough, bro. I got to do this by myself. I'm the one that's been betrayed here. You guys feel that with me? And here's what's interesting in verses 48 through 52. The mob comes toward Jesus and they approach him as if, as if he's armed and dangerous, man. They approach Jesus much like uh, a police force would approach one of America's most wanted that they've cornered in a building. They got guns and, well, they don't have guns. <laughs> if they were in our time, they would have had guns. They have swords and knives. And Jesus tells them, he says, listen, man, there's, there's no reason for you to approach me this way. I'm the same guy that was teaching in the synagogues. I'm the same guy that was teaching house to house. I'm the same guy that was teaching publicly in the streets. I'm the same guy. I've done nothing seditious. I've done nothing in secret. All my stuff has been out in the open. There is no reason for you to come at me with these actions and still they arrest him. Mark tells us in verse 50 that when they do, Jesus, who had already been abandoned and alone in the garden and betrayed, finds himself completely alone and abandoned as all of his disciples, the apostles. I don't want you to miss that. You guys feel the heaviness of that with me? These are the men, the 12 men, the 11 men that God was going to use to change the world. Gone. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that just as through one man sin entered into the world through Adam, much more the free gift of grace and eternal life can also be found in one man, Jesus Christ. I believe that everything that the first Adam forfeited in the Garden of Eden, Jesus took back in the Garden of Gethsemane. Everything that Adam forfeited on his own free will in Eden, Jesus took back for us because he bent his will to the will of the Father. So what, Pastor Greg? What are you saying to me about this message or through this message today? Here's what I believe God would have us know from this. 
Because I truly, I truly believe that the garden is, the, is, is where the victory was won. Without the garden, there is no cross, there is no tomb. Yeah, the garden changed everything. So there's three things I want you to take away with you today. In the garden, Jesus was abandoned and alone so that we wouldn't have to be. The writer of the Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, he quotes God from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, making a promise to his people that I will never leave you or forsake you. Then Jesus makes this promise in the Great Commission as he's getting ready to ascend. He says, listen, I'm going to be with you always. Everybody say always. Always, even to the end of the age, Jesus was abandoned and alone so that we would not have to be. He's with us, and then he promised. He said, even though I can't be with you in person, I'm here in spirit. I got something for you, though. I got something for you. I got the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And he just won't be with you. He'll be in you. You are never alone. <laughs> We're never alone. The only reason why you are alone is because you choose to be. And even then, you're not really alone because whom God loves, he runs them down. That's what the scripture says, isn't it? Okay, Pastor Greg, what's your second point? That one didn't get you. Here's another one. There's nothing that you've ever done that Jesus can't forgive. Man, I tell you, man, this, this, this message, man, you ever have somebody that you looked up to I mean, like you really looked up to, like they could do no wrong. How many of you have people like that that you've looked up to? How many of you don't? That you never had anybody? Y'all need, need to get one. <laughs> Find somebody that you, could, that you could look up to, man. I think everybody needs somebody like that in their life. Really. I said it, I said it 10 times, I'm going to say it again. These men are the founders of the gospel in the New Testament. These men are the men that changed and turned the world upside down. And if they can be forgiven for betraying Jesus to his face, there is nothing that you and I can do that Jesus can't forgive. Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. N-O-T-H-I-N-G. Nothing. Nada. Zilch. Zip. Somebody give me another word. Zero. Nothing. Everybody say nothing. 
And remember this, God's way out in front of you, man. He understands the battle that we have in our flesh. He understands it. Jesus knows it. He knows everything. He knows everything that you've ever done. He wants you anyway. He loves you anyway. There's nothing you can do that would make God love you less or more. Nothing. He loves you. And there's nothing he can't forgive. Here's your third and final point, Lee, if you'll come up. Jesus wants to be your first line of defense against the enemy. Man, there are so many things in this life that we can turn to. So many things. Let me ask you a question. Be honest with yourself. Don't answer out loud. This is, this is in, introspective questioning right now for yourself. When times get tough, what do you turn to? When times get difficult, what do you turn to? Where is your favorite place to go when times get tough? Man, in our day, we can be anywhere in a matter of a couple hours, man. We have a lot of different things to choose from, and some of them you don't have to go anywhere to turn to him. Gossip. Rage. The bottle. Video games. Porn. Television. The flesh wants these things that it can feed on. And it wants you to turn to these things first. But here's what Jesus said. If you seek first the kingdom of righteousness... Seek first, what's, what does it say? There you go. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and, all, and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He wants you to come to him first. So will you turn to him first when things get tough? That's the question. Do you know that he's out there in front of you waiting for you? Because he loves you. He's given his life for you. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to be your children. Thank you, Lord, that everything we need can be found in you. If you're here today, And you're going through the crucible of life in an area of your life. And up to this moment, you've tried to handle things in your own strength. I challenge you today to trust God. 
If you're here today and you're struggling with something that's been eating your lunch, maybe it's a, a problem that you're having in, in, our, in the sin nature that we still have to deal with this side of our glorified bodies. God wants to take that from you today. You don't have to be ashamed or embarrassed because he already knows. He just wants you to bring it to him. And maybe you're here today and you've never embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't know what it's like to be in relationship with someone that said they would never, ever leave you no matter what. You can know him today. So if anything that I've said in the last couple minutes resonates with you with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to slip your hand up right now so I can pray for you. I see those hands. I recognize. You can put them down. I see your hand. Father, I have brothers and sisters here who, after hearing your word today, have acknowledged the truth that there are things in their life that, that they haven't turned completely over to you. I'm asking you, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you meet them right where they're at. That whatever their need is, that you meet their need. And if they're wrestling with something that they need to give up or relinquish to you, will you, Holy Spirit, as they yield to you, show them exactly what that looks like? And then, Father, I pray that they'll have the boldness and the courage to go to someone and say, will you walk with me? Will you... Just pray with me. Can I be accountable to you because I'm not meant to take this journey alone? I pray for boldness to do that. Thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name.